The second conversation in the series produced by JEIC features Rabbi Dr. Michael Shire of Hebrew College in Boston in conversation with JEIC's Rabbi Shmuel Feld on how to speak to students about God in an age-appropriate way. Shire distinguishes between teaching about God's essence versus about our experience of God. It would be wonderful to teach our young people in our Jewish based schools about God just by telling them about the wonderful and diverse and varied notions of God that we hold in Judaism. We have such a variety of abilities to think about God. Um, we've received a 4,000 year old tradition after all, and we have many of our great thinkers throughout history who have helped us and guide us in, in thinking about God theologically uh, with all kinds of ways to think about God, the Jewish people, uh, God's work in the world, uh, our theodicy, our understandings of uh, God's ways of uh, providing goodness and justice. Um, these are all really important parts of uh, the notion of teaching about God. And I, and I think that should all be part of what we are offering to uh, the best in our Jewish educational systems. The prayer book and the Bible, um, Tanakh and the Siddur, they give us great views of God, um, there's God language there. We don't perhaps talk about it enough. We don't think about it enough. We don't introduce that, those, those different many ways of talking about God and God language uh, enough uh, to the students in our classes. Uh, we let them open the Tanakh and the uh, Siddur and the Mahsur and the Haggadah without particularly referencing God enough, I think. Um, and Despite all of that, and um, notwithstanding that, it seems that we have got to do more than that because, you know, wherever we have tried to introduce God by teaching the theology of the Siddur or the, uh, the Tanakh or indeed the theologies of our philosophers, it hasn't been enough to compel and engage, certainly this generation, in what we more might call the work of faith. So in, to introduce and understand the work of faith, uh, I want to take us to um, a screenshot of a, a page from a book by Rabbi Louis Jacobs, um, the great um, 20th century um, scholar of Hasidut and, and rabbinics, um, who in a very little book called Faith um, has given us kind of a, a graphic paradigm of uh, how he understands the Jewish notions of how faith has been exhibited in, in uh, Jewish life through, uh, through the ages in which we've lived. This is a screenshot. Uh, it's actually a photograph of a page because uh, during the coronavirus situation, I didn't have access to the library. Um, if we consider uh, the biblical rabbinic view of faith and, and think of the circle that you see before you as the understanding that belief that God exists, if you like, um, a philosophical understanding of God, the intellectual propositional understanding of what God is, uh, the way we use our reason, our mind, the cognitive domain to understand what we think God is, what our perceptions of God are, 
uh, what our teachings of God are, if we think of that as the circle. Uh, and then we uh, look at the straight line, the straight line uh, to the left of the circle and independent from the circle is what uh, Jacob's, Rabbi Jacobs calls uh, belief in. Belief in the fact that God is present in our lives. Belief in the trust, the confidence, the loyalty in God's uh, presence, in God's actions. Belief in the ability uh, of us to connect to that God. So the circle represents belief that God does exist and that there is a, a philosophical and theological justification for believing that. And belief in God, that is the straight line, is the notion that uh, we have a relationship to develop with God. Now, as you can see in the biblical and rabbinic time, those two things are very separate. And most of the emphasis is where those wavy lines are occur. They, they're around the straight line. Those wavy lines represent where the emphasis of our literature um, is. And so in the biblical and rabbinic view, most of what people are concerned about from our writing, sacred writings, is how do I how do I make myself ready for God and God's presence? How do I be the person who is uh, developing that sense of who I am? And where is my faith? Where is my loyalty? How can I strengthen it? Um, where is it weakened? Um, if it's Avraham or it's Rivka um, or it's uh, later on in our tradition um, with our rabbis of the Talmud, that's, this is their main contention with the notion of faith. Uh, how do I strengthen it? Um, where is it weaker? The idea that there might not be justification for God's existence just doesn't appear in that literature pretty much throughout the whole of it. When we get to a medieval view, we see those two things remain separate, that is the circle and the straight line, but now the wavy lines have moved to the circle because the belief that God exists has suddenly become the important emphasis of medieval philosophy. We get the Rambam, we get Halevi, we get um, all kinds of philosophers who want to teach us and tell us about the ways in which we can justify God's existence. And we take for granted, in a sense, God's presence in our lives. We, we uh, know that Jews in those communities were faithful, they were observant and pious in the main, not all, but many, and that became the norm. Um, but they really needed to struggle with, you know, more the, the, the ways of understanding um, how it can be uh, helpful to the perplexed. Um, and of course, we were following other cultures in doing that work. And then we get to the modern view. Now here is where the straight line and the circle have come together. And this is where we are today. In a sense, we can't do one without the other. One is inside the other, the, the need to believe in, to have a sense of God's presence in our lives is connected to the understanding that we've got to find a way to justify God's existence. And that's what our young people are struggling with. And so the the wavy lines are in both the circle and the straight line. It's complex, it's difficult, it's gonna be really hard to do this work. And it can't be therefore just about teaching the theology, teaching what's in the prayer book and the Tanakh. It can't be just about ideas about God. It's got to also be about the notion of God's presence and making that alive and real and vivid in people's lives. And just to kind of emphasize that, I wanna, We'll just look at a text from medieval times, from Chavot HaLavavot, Duties of the Heart, uh, an 11th century treatise by Bachia ibn Bakuda. He says, Thus I have come to know for certain 
that the duties of the limbs, chovot ha'evarim, are no avail to us. Those are the kind of the mitzvot, the, the tefillot, the things that we do to make us uh, externally Jewish. They are no avail to us unless our hearts choose to do them and our souls desire their performance. There's got to be something inner, inner kavanah, inner intentionality to make those duties of the limbs speak and be meaningful. Since then, our limbs cannot perform an act unless our souls have chosen it first. Our limbs could free themselves from all the duties and obligations that should occur to us that our hearts were not obliged to choose obedience to God. We were commanded both outward and inward duties so that our obedience might be complete. In other words, we've got to have chavot ha'evarim, duties of the limbs, that is external duties, as well as chavot ha'levavot, duties of the heart. And those duties of the heart are things that are not so uh, obvious, not so available. As educators, we may have struggled in the past to understand how to reach our students with regard to the Fortunately, social science in the 20th century has allowed us to kind of think about this again and to think about ways in which um, what we would call duties of the heart has become what social scientists have called patterns of faith. This is the work of um, James Fowler. Uh, James Fowler, who wrote the book Stages of Faith, suggests that patterns of faith are exhibited by um, these five uh, five things. It's first of all, it's a prime activity. It's some way in which we all make meaning of our lives. It's it's essential to being a human is to have faith. Faith is a prime activity by which we make meaning. It's also active. It's constructing. It's interpreting experience. When we talked earlier about um, the difference between belief in and belief that, the belief in part is very dynamic. When you are talking about trust and faith and confidence and growing in strength in your faith, it's always changing. It's dynamic. It's changing lifelong. Belief that God exists can sometimes be very static. You know, this is what I believe in. This is what I believe that God is for me. In a way, you've made a definitive statement. Your reason and your cognitive mind tell you what it is. But faith in God, the living in the presence of God each and every day, is active. It's sometimes stronger and sometimes less strong. And we have to come to understand that students are going to be going through that throughout their lives. It's relational. In other words, it's not just about how I compose my faith by myself, but how I compose it related to me, of course, others around me, my family, my teachers and school, my tradition, um, and indeed what God speaks to me about. All of those are aspects of faith. Um, one of our great social scientists, uh, Rebecca Nye, speaks about relational consciousness as kind of a definition of faith, a way to think about the heightened awareness that comes from being in relationship with all of those things that I just mentioned. And therefore, for Fowler, faith is both cognitive, that is kind of how we use our rationality to understand faith, but it's also affective. It's also how about we respond to those kind of vibrating aspects of the universe that are around us in sensory senses. And then it is, of course, if faith is a way in which a person makes meaning, it's not just about being Jewish. It's not just about being religious. 
it's also for all human beings. It's part of who we are as human universals. So perhaps just to summarize that up, um, Art Green, our teacher at Hebrew College and our, uh, our theologian, uh, says to us that he uses the word religiosity to kind of understand this notion of faith. I think that's a good word um, for many reasons, which we can talk about later. But he says the Jewish religious religiosity is described as striving for the presence of God. If you like, that's the belief in we talked about earlier and it's striving for it. So we're always actively trying to find it and to reach it and to, to deepen it and to strengthen it. So we're striving for the presence of God, but that's not enough. We've also got to fashion a life of holiness appropriate to such striving. And if you like, that's part of the belief that and also part of the mitzvot and part of the external, the chavot ha'evarim, the things that we do that are going to connect us with the striving. It's the connection between the two that is appropriate to the ways in which we can make meaning in life that makes it so important uh, as an activity. So uh, I did a, a doctoral uh, study with some 15-year-olds uh, um, who began to show me that this was very much part of who they were. These were young people in Jewish educational settings. Here's uh, Mark, uh, and he speaks about um, this aspect. Religion is more of the practicing aspect, but spirituality is a whole different realm for me. Spirituality is like you can feel something that is intangible, and that's the spiritual part of it. The religious aspect is more the customs and how you use the text to interact with those, and also the ritual aspects of it. Sometimes I feel like I'm a religious person. Sometimes I feel like entirely religious, and sometimes I feel entirely spiritual and no religion at all. Sometimes I completely believe in God, and sometimes I completely question the existence of God. Can you see where the circle and the straight line are both vibrating, if you like, with those wavy lines? And Mark is really struggling to get a sense of both of those belief that and belief in, and bring them together so that they are coherent in his life. Here's Rebecca, again, 15-year-old. It's a feeling of being in touch with either oneself or God. It's up to personal belief if you believe in God or not. Normally, the feeling is supposed to be a good feeling. Being spiritual should be a feeling of contentment. It's like opening a door of perception. It can be a road to somewhere else, another way of thinking, another plane of awareness that's very deep. Rebecca seems to have a spiritual signature that goes to the heart of um, what we might call the, the, the relational consciousness, kind of having a deep sense of where the spiritual, the religiosity is for her, how she connects that to her Jewish life is going to be, of course, for a guide, Madri uh, Chani, to help her with, to, to make the connections, to bring that encounter into reflection and then into a uh, deep connection with our tradition. Um, I also um, worked with uh, a teacher in a Jewish day school who was asking her uh, fifth graders, so like 11 years old, to... Um, to write about their notions of God. And uh, we had a lot of uh, data. We, we actually published it in the Prisma magazine, Hayidion. And uh, this, so this is uh, an 11 year old uh, speaking about God for herself and writing about it. The first time I experienced God, when I was at a sukkah party, uh, every year our next door neighbors had a sukkah party. It was like a maze outside of a castle. 
There is even a little pond filled with fish. It's an amazing backyard. One year when I was little, so we don't know how old she was when this experience happened to her, but from our um, data that we collected from other children, most of the children were talking about uh, experiences when they were three and four years old. So assume this was very young. One year when I was little, I was playing in the backyard with my sister. We were playing hide and seek. I don't know why, but at the particular moment for about 15 minutes, I felt God's presence. It was amazing. I felt like my mind and my heart were somewhere else. My brain was going crazy like it is doing now as I remember that moment. Now that we've moved a little further away, we still go to the sukkah party and I always make a point to walk in the backyard. Now here's a young person about 11 years old thinking about an experience that happened in early childhood that was very powerful for her and she still remembers it and it means something to her. And she's trying to recreate it in, in a way by coming back to the backyard, but she can only think about it now. She can only reflect on it. She can only make the connection between that and Sukkot and the sense of playing hide and seek, which of course, you know, if we if we think about that, that's a real sense of a metaphor for, for thinking about God um, and how the connection she's going to have in the rest of her life um, with that experience of the, of the foundational essence of it. Um, here's also a uh, fifth grader uh, in a poem. God, I, I don't believe in God when I don't believe in God because bad things happen to me. I have two allergies and temper tissues and I temper issues. And to think someone would curse me with my problems, well, that would just be mean. If there is a God, to me, God is an illusion. Others believe in God and they can if they want to. I'm an atheist and I don't believe in God. But Thinking of all good things that happened to me, maybe someone blesses me with these things, if there is a God. Can you hear the, the real sense of uh, the dilemma there and, and of the belief in and the belief that coming together, but in a very difficult way for this fifth uh, grader and a little different from the one before. This is kind of more angst ridden. And you can see how maybe by sixth and seventh grade, children are just kind of give up on the, the struggle, the striving, as we said before. So we've got to find a way to build the strength of that coherence. So I want to suggest that there are these ways of cultivating what I call emunah, this faith-based way of thinking about teaching uh, both God's presence and knowledge about God. Wonder and imagination has got to be part of it. We have got to deepen the sense of the wonder and the imagination that children can have about God, about the questions they have about the world. God talk and language about God is so important. We've got to have the ability to talk about God, to um, bring God into the classroom and to use language about God that's understand understandable to children. And that's probably one of the problems with the Siddur and the Chumash. The language used there is not the language that is the most accessible to young people. We need to be thinking about um, language about God that's from them. Hear what they have to say about God. Um, whether it's um, you know an experience, whether it's um, an event, whether it's uh, an opportunity, let's take the language from them and then work with that. Praying is of course a really important time, but it you notice I didn't put prayers, I put praying because we've got to teach children how to pray. We've got to teach them the dispositions they need in order to understand what a praying activity is all about, how to strengthen those dispositions. Uh, we can talk about that more later as well. Questions and moral dilemmas. Obviously, we're just coming up to Pesach. 
and we're thinking about questions driving the agenda of the Seder, questions about what God does, how God can work in the world, why does God make hard things happen, how can God be good when other things around us are not so good. Um, those are all the moral dilemmas and the questions that children will have and we need to foster those. Story, uh, all the stories of our tradition are so important from the Tanakh and I would say the stories of the Tanakh are the most important thing to emphasize um, for young children uh, and we have so many wonderful ways of doing that and my pedagogy of spiritual um, Torah godly play is one way of doing that there are many others. Um, ritual is important for children, continuous coherent ritual that links, as we said earlier, the notions of striving for the presence of God and fashioning a life of holiness, the fashioning a life of ritual that's appropriate to that striving. It's really important, Shabbat, Pesach, daily ritual, things that um, make children feel like this is part of their everyday way of making meaning in the world. As I said at the very beginning, theology, we have a wonderful philosophical tradition, let's teach it. Uh, I'd love to see high schools particularly develop whole curricula around theology. And I would suggest that we do less about what is God, that is the essence, and more about when is God, that is the presence of God. I'm gonna kind of pause there, I'm gonna stop sharing and uh, talk to Rabbi Fels about where we are in, in this work. Fantastic. So first of all, thank you so much for sharing all that. That was really a tremendous journey. I really like the way that you introduced God by means of the symbolism and that you worked that through for people to be able to follow along and for people I really highly suggest that uh, you listen to this more than once, that you go back and take a listen a second time and, uh, and really think about that. I, I want to, before I go to my set of questions, I wanted to respond and, and ask two uh, interesting questions from what you had said. Number one was, it seems that one of the key elements that you didn't talk about in there, but was in sort of a, an invisible hand along the way, was how you foster self-awareness in the students so that they can do these activities. Because it seems from, from what it is that's going on, that the student would need to really develop a sense of self-awareness, the way that Fowler talks about in his different levels of, of uh, understanding of connection to God, that he talks about the highest level being the negation of self in the face of God. But in Judaism, I know from talking to you that's to be good, that it's the deep partnership with God. But how do we get the students to foster self-awareness in this kind of setting? That's very important. You're absolutely right. So we've got to, from the very young, youngest ages, allow children to have the ability to wonder. Um, the Torah God we play spiritual pedagogy that, that I've uh, developed is a way of introducing, let's say, Tanakh stories to children in a particular way that actually really prompts them to wonder about the very nature of God's presence in those stories. So children will wonder about um, the ways in which God acts uh, during the time of the Exodus, for instance, the time we're thinking about at the moment. Uh, you know, I wonder what freedom means to um, a God who's holding a people in their hands. I wonder what the people of Israel felt as they were crossing over the sea into freedom on the other side. I wonder um, how important it was that Miriam led the people in singing and dancing. These opportunities to wonder 
uh, beginning to open up that ability for children to think for themselves, to wonder and create their own imaginative understandings of our teachings and our texts and our stories. And that, of course, is a foundational ability that will last with them throughout their lives. And then that wonder will continue when the questions get deeper and the, the, the problems get harder, uh, when there is you know, sorrow and sadness and, and death. Um, all of those questions of life, those questions of meaning, have to be cultivated and fostered in our children. And we, we do damage to our children, I think, if we don't open that wondering at the very earliest ages, early childhood. That's really helpful. Um, so how do you then divide between the idea of this personal relationship that you really describe in depth and the sort of national relationship that the Jewish people have, either with each other and then with God? Well, yes. So, um, you know, each child will have a spiritual signature. And from the work that um, I introduced you to there with the, particularly with the, um, the young children, the, the fifth graders, we see very clearly that children actually are very different. You know, they have a spiritual signature. Some children are more scientific. Um, they have kind of a sense of, you know, how does the world work? And, you know, what is God? And how does the universe work? And how do planets revolve around us? And, you know, and we revolve around them, of course. Um, so all of that is very interesting to them. Other children are just fascinated by the sense of goodness and morality and justice in the world. and why are good people good and how does bad how do bad things happen to good people they're worried about those kind of things and relationships and, and fairness and justice so we see those spiritual signatures of course we have so many jewish opportunities to connect those spiritual signatures to the teachings of our tradition and I, again i like to make this three-point triangle what i call encounter reflection and instruction so allow the children that encounter, allow them to come to their own sense of what their questions are, their own sense of striving, put and facilitate moments of encounter. That could be prayer, it could be Amazing. other things. Let them reflect on that, give them the time, give them the ability, the capacity to wonder, to reflect about it aloud with us, with you, with them, with their teachers, their parents. And don't be embarrassed about that, you know, let them do it. Um, and then give them the Jewish text, the traditions, the sources, the stories, the Hasidic mamarim, um, um, that will allow them to um, connect that to their own wonderings. You know, we always do this with Rashi, you know, we say, ah, you have a rabbinic chidush, well, Rashi said that, or Ibn Ezra said that. Let's, let's do that with, with spirituality as well. Let's say, you know what, Heschel has a wonderful line about what you just said about you know wow. being time rather than space um, when is god rather than where is god you know we, we have some teachings about that let's let's look at those so we can do that but let the children bring it forth let them wonder that's uh, that's fantastic I, it reminds me of uh of speaking about building castles in time for shabbat it's an yeah. interesting way of thinking about that so do you then touch on the presence or tragedy of evil um, in, in the world? Is that, is, that a, is that a way that you challenge them or do you let them, how would you let them in a sense experience that and reflect on that? Um, obviously, as you mentioned earlier, James Fowler has a developmental approach. He's not the only one. I mean, actually our, um, our own uh, kind of philosoph philosophers have a kind of a developmental approach to ways in which 
children and then adolescents and adults can come to understand um, and deal with the sufferings in the world, uh, the sense of justice um, as they get older. So yes, we've got to understand those developmental stages. We've got to act appropriately, age appropriately, uh, as Jerome Bruner taught us. Uh, our teaching has to be consonant with that age appropriateness. But, you know, um, I suppose um, even for our most, you know, our most difficult topic, the Shoah, um, my teacher, Bathsheba Dagan, a, a Shoah survivor, taught us that they were appropriate developmental stages for even understanding the Shoah at the younger stages, even if it meant just lighting six candles and talked about sadness when we light those candles, because we're making then an association with those six candles and the hope that comes from lighting six candles and the sadness that is part of our, again, it's our response, our emotional response to beginning to set and cultivate emunah, um, the strength of making meaning out of a very tragic event without even mentioning anything else but early childhood. And of course, right. then develop that through our, through our uh, developmental stages. So yes, we've got to acknowledge understanding that there's suffering in, in children's lives of all kinds, whether a pet dies or they, they bump their knee or they, they get a cut um, or indeed a, a family member falls ill. Um, we've got to start thinking about God's role in um, those things and not shy away from them. That sometimes makes teachers feel like, well, I don't know enough. I, I don't know how to respond to that. Well, what does the have to say about that? Well, I, what I like to suggest to teachers is you don't have to be the expert to answer. What you want to do is nurture the questions. And you want to wonder with the children. Excellent advice. Excellent advice. And I, I often say in Torah play, I often say uh, to when the children say, oh, you know, I wonder, I wonder how, um, I wonder why the Egyptians perished um, when the children crossed the sea. And, and I say, you know, I wonder about that too. And I wonder what, what that means for us to think about. And, and that, that's a way of sharing the fact that, you know, we don't all have the answers and no one does. So lastly, I just wanted to finish with a, with a question that will sound sort of strange now that we've talked about this entire topic. Do you feel that it's better to teach about God embedded everywhere as you go or as a discrete topic? A great question. Um, I mean, it's complex because, first of all, developmentally, I think early childhood, they're doing this all the time. You know, early childhood, we're, we're having, you know, kindergartens and nurseries, we're having conversations about God because they're natural. It's episodic. It happens all the time. Children are bringing up God wherever they are. I just read a, a Facebook page um, comment where a parent said, um, you know, time for a nap to an early childhood uh, boy, and the boy didn't want to have a nap anymore. He's beyond naps. And he, he said to the parent, well, you know what? Let my people go. So <laughs> you know, um, God comes in everywhere naturally with early children. Therefore, it's got to be cross-curricular. It's got to be part. Every, every early childhood teacher has got to have this in their toolbox. They've got to be able to understand it. And they need to, they need to get some either from their, from their rabbi or from, from you know, teachers of teachers. They've got to come to an understanding of how faith can be taught and cultivated and how we can do it Jewishly through MNR. So that's very clear. When we get to high school, then we've got a real opportunity to teach theology as a separate subject. Um, we encouraged my children's high school, and in fact, middle school, um, to introduce a unit on theology. 
um, in a, it kind of wasn't being thought about. And we, as parents, my wife and I really wanted our children to have the opportunity to get the frameworks, the, both the medieval and the modern uh, understandings, philosophies of, of the wonderful ways in which Jewish thinkers thought about God. So that's now an integrated part of a, of a couple of um, Jewish day schools, both in London and in, now in Boston. Um, so great. Um, the problem is when you get to things like prayer, because we have prayer throughout all of children's lives and children's experiences. And what do you do with that? Uh, just one little anecdote about that. My wife was teaching in the Jewish Day School in London and she was teaching a fantastic unit about prayer um, and the Siddur and everything that was in the Siddur, the Mafeya, everything about it. Each, each, she spent a whole unit, a whole semester on, you know, from Matavu to Adon Alam and everything in between. And at the last session, a kid came up to her and said, Rabbi, this was wonderful. I really enjoyed learning about Matveh, about everything in the Siddur. But when are you going to teach us how to pray? <laughs> and that was a real challenge. And uh, we, we've got work. That was great. That's fantastic. Well, I want to thank you very much for your time. You've elucidated a very difficult topic. And, and I, I appreciate your taking your effort and energy in order to be able to help Clyde Israel understand this better. Great. Well, thank you. I really enjoyed the conversation.